welcome to the Production Talk podcast with me, Jan of MixArtist.com.au. In this podcast series, we celebrate the modern way of producing music. We want to talk about all things related to songwriting, recording at home and music production. So if you produce your music at home, this is the place to be. Please subscribe and recommend this podcast to all your friends. Thank you for being here with me today. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land that this conversation is recorded on. It's the Arakwal people of the Bandjalong Nation, and I'd like to pay my respects to elders, past, present, and emerging. It's um, a special day to have Lucius Boric with me from the band COG. And just before we get into uh, this conversation, Lucius, uh, it's our second attempt of recording uh, this interview. The last one was a huge failure to, due to technical issues on my end. So thank you for making the time again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're, we're here now. So past is the past and yeah. here we are. Yeah. So it's all good. Excellent. We're, we're rolling. Everything is tested. So we're good to go. Look, um, first up, I would love to hear a bit more about your uh, history and uh, how you decided you know, as I guess a young bloke to uh, become a musician. What was your inspiration? Mm. Uh, how come you're not working in a bank? Or <laughs> yeah, right, working in a bank. <laughs> how did you become a musician? Yeah, um, well, I'm not good at maths, so I don't think I would have, you know, been good in a bank. <laughs> But I use maths in a different way, and that's on the drum kit and because mm. it's all, you know, obviously time. So yeah. I think that... Um, Uh, you know, not having a good a, a good uh, mathematical brain, writing it down and understanding equations and stuff like that. For some reason, I can do it uh, in rhythm and and things like that. So, I mean, I grew up with a a, a musical family. So my uncle, he's uh, uh, he's not with us anymore. Uh, rest his soul, and he only he passed probably two years ago now. Mm -hmm. um, Sorry to hear that. Yeah, Doug Parkinson, a, mm. a fantastic soul singer, and he was like, you know, my second father pretty much. Um, you know, I grew up with him and I played with him. I uh, did the Buddy Holly Theatre show with him. Um, and my father is a, is a blues rock guitarist. So I've played with him off and on pretty much my whole life. So I was born into a musical family. And cool. yeah, and, mm. and I, I, that was kind of like what was normal. Um, and that was, it seemed to be exciting. Um, the vibe of music always around was always nourishing, mm. you know, for, for, for us young kids. Um, so yeah, it was, it was basically, that was the intro, I guess. And, um, from there it was just, uh, exploration, you know, and grabbing the baton, so to speak, the musical baton, running with it and see what could happen. Okay. Yeah. And uh, who was inspiring you to, to become a drummer? Mm. You know, why, why didn't you end up being a guitar player like, like your dad? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, I think a couple of obvious things. I think when kids are young, so I, I've, I've got photographs of me behind a drum kit when I was three. So um, and I've got sticks and I've got a, a pretty much scaled down drum kit. Like, and my dad's drummers at the time, Keith Barber, great Australian drummer. I learned a lot from him. And Johnny Dick, he played on a lot of um, 
uh, John Paul Young stuff um, and stuff like that. And he's a great drummer as well. And they cr- basically created a small, tiny prototype little drum kit. And, you know, that uh, I'm sitting behind there. I've got the sticks in the hand. I'm, I'm, I'm banging away and, and hitting things. And I think obviously kids, you know, at that age, three or four can pick up sticks and they can hit things. So it's not yeah. like picking up a violin and, you know, trying to make a good sound out of it, you know. <laughs> so... I don't know whether, I mean, I, I guess that would have been back in the day, would have been fun to do that as a young child, but they were saying that I was playing 4-4 four, four time at, when I was around three. And my dad had a, a tape, unfortunately. Wow. Yeah, a, a tape um, cassette that got lost, unfortunately, but that was me jamming with him 4-4 four, four time when I was around three or four. So <laughs> I don't know, yeah, I don't know why. I can't answer that Yeah in a spark of, of that question to a degree, but I do remember feeling um, very strongly in, in myself that that's what I was here to do. Mm. And there was going to be, you know, everything else is just everything else. And that was the path that I was going to have to chase and, and follow for some reason, you know, and, and I, I really understood that at, at an early age, funnily enough, you know, six, seven, yeah. nine, even times when I didn't have a drum kit, I just knew that, for some reason, I was going to be playing drums and I was going to be moving forward with, with rhythm. Wow. Yeah. So they were kind of like the spark, I guess, those drummers that, um, you know, just helped put the sticks in my hand, built the drum kit. Yeah. Um, and then from there it was kind of, you know, playing on pillows and cushions and my mum used to, um, to, you know, when she was doing the dishes or anything like that, she'd put the pots and pans on the floor, give me some chopsticks and, you know, <laughs> just had me sit on the ground with my nappy on and just apparently, you know, just hitting things. Wow. With, with, yeah, so <laughs> there was a really early birth there, funnily yeah. enough. And I guess, you know, being in the womb, you know, music all around, there mm. was probably some vibrational, you know, leakage. Yeah, 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 of course, <laughs> of course. Leaked in and, yeah. and I picked up on it and resonated yeah. with it, you know, well. so... Yeah. Cool. Well, no surprise that you're such an amazing drummer today if you started at that age. That's, oh, thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah. It's been a lot of work. It's definitely, you know, it's been a lot of work put yeah. in to try and to become, um, I guess, reach your potential. Mm, you know, okay. um, you, yeah, you, you never feel like you're where you want to be, but mm. you're on that journey of always trying to strive to, to somewhat become better. Yeah. You know, then, then you are or just change, you know, or just change and morph into a different version of yourself as a player and that is the evolution okay. you know, of, of becoming something quite different than you were maybe 10 or 15 years before. Wow, okay. Let's maybe just uh, fast forward into, into the present time. Um, we are surrounded here by drums in your studio. There's, mm. uh, you know, cases everywhere and there's a beautiful kit uh, set up right next to us. Can you talk about your gear and, you know, what you prefer shells are and what's mm. your sound, what's your unique uh, choice of instruments? Yeah, my mm. at the moment I'm, I'm playing DW uh, drums that are out of America and I've been playing those for probably 20-odd years. Before that I had a beautiful Gretsch kit, um, which was a lovely-sounding um, drum kit, which actually... Um, unfortunately got trashed in, a, in a, um, an accident that was on its way to a gig. Oh, no. And, the, um, yeah, the roadie who was driving the truck, he um, had a little bit too much of something and fell asleep and, you know, rolled the van. So, you know, oh. that, that kit got trashed. But I had insurance 
on that kit. So I went to get another one um, and this would, I must have been about 22 at this stage. So that would have been quite early 90s. And um, they said, oh, look, we, we're not, we haven't got any Gretsch kits, but we got these new things called DW kits and um, they sound pretty similar mm. and, and they're a good make and all the rest of it. So mm. I kind of transitioned yeah. over, took the insurance money and then I got that, um, my first DW kit, which was a, a Birch Small Lugs Black Kit, um, which was a, a beautiful sounding kit. Mm, and they sound ridiculously yeah, amazing. The really, really, yeah, yeah, really, really good. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had that one for a long time, that, that drum kit. Before then, growing up, starting, you know, I went through a phase of, um, you know, using Tama, mm. um, kind of, you know, Royal Star Tamas and a, a couple of Pearl kits. Yep. Um, you know, just kind of sussing out what I thought was good. That, at that stage, it didn't really matter too much, although the badge was kind of cool if it aligned with some of the drummers I liked. Mm. You know, oh, I'm playing a similar kit to Stuart Copeland or, you know, <laughs> yeah. or whatever. So that was pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, moving on, basically, DW for, you know, geez, must be around 30-odd years now, I'd say. And um, that black kit, which which I got, I ended up selling that, um, auctioning that off actually because it was a quite a hard period of time where financially it wasn't doing too well. So um, had to auction that one off, and that one kind of left me, you know. Mm. Um, which sad. yeah, one of my loves left me, <laughs> and, um, and moved on. And yeah, yes, uh, someone um, who actually the person who bought it has always been quite. Um, quite nice about well if you ever need it back you know you know oh really yeah you know maybe you could yeah but um from there at the moment i've had a quite a few dw kits uh, since that one um different you know shells different sizes and at the moment i'm running a mahogany uh, wooden kit basically which is a nice uh let's say more warmer you could mm. say more warmer than the birch and and the kit's quite big of of over time um, added to it. So the one we're looking at at the moment, which is quite different for me and I've, I've only kind of gotten these sizes in the last two years because I'm doing a, a Faith No More cover band. So I've really wanted to bring in that sound um, that the drummer um, from Faith No More has, which is the big Tom's mm. mic here. So uh, great, big you know, so 13 rack tom um, and a 14 rack tom and a 16, 24 inch kick drum. Um, and then the cog drum kit is is kind of like an add on to that. So I've got, you know, my 10, uh, 12. And uh, what am I running? I'm running a 10, 13, 15 floor tom, 18 floor tom, and a 22 inch by 14 kick drum. So that's all kind of one you know, kit you could say, but mm. you can divvy it up and you can, you know, yeah. you can use it in different ways for so different situations. Scale it basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah, can cool. scale it for whatever okay. session you've got yeah. going on or whatever gig you've got going on. So that, and I've also got a, a PDP, um, which are made by DW, mm. which are a little bit more of their cheaper kits, but they sound fantastic and I use those quite a lot even in the studio. Wooden hoops, which is different mm. than the, you know, the, the, the um, steel hoops we have. Um, so yeah, it's, I haven't got too many kits at the moment, but yep. I've got a few snares. I'm running some Zildjian cymbals, which I've been with them for quite a long time. Mm. So 
quite a mixed match of different symbols there um, for different situations, you know, dark Ks, um, Constantinople's, which are the more jazzy style, or the Karopes, which are quite dry and they're really great sounding. Um, but then I've got some A's, uh, A customs. So there's, I, there's uh, a, I love the A customs. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's just mm. a, a, you know, a lot, a lot of nice mixture there. So I can Lovely. really change it up when yeah. I want okay. for different situations. And I really notice the difference. And when I'm recording, I obviously notice the difference too. So yeah. interchanging those out um, is is really um, worth having a lot of those different varieties. So and and in your experience, you know, how much of of a great some drum sound comes out of the instrument and how much comes out of the playing? What's the balance in, in your opinion? Yeah, great question. Um, I've seen fantastic drummers play some kits that, you know, they're not the best. Yeah. yeah but same. they just make it sound great. Yes. You know, so... I've seen that many times. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting amazing question. Amazing musicians that. on a beaten up or a drum yeah. set and it still sounds phenomenal. That That's right because uh, I think over mm. time drummers learn, experienced drummers learn how to pull the, the sound, the tone and to, you know, and what they're working with um, to make it sound good, yeah. you know, and, and where they place the, the sticks on the head, um, what heads they use with the drums, um, that can have a, a bit of a um, an influence there. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, I, I think the, the, set, the kit is obviously secondary, I think, mm. you know, to the player. Yeah. Um, if a good a good player can make an average drum kit sound really good, mm. you know. So yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, and when you work live and in the studio, um, do you have preferred microphone choices or ways to mic up your drums for 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 your sound? Yeah, I, I definitely. I, I remember the first time the Sennheisers, um, you know, the four two ones. I heard those for the first time when I was 16, 17 in the in the studio when I recorded for the first time, and, I, mm. and they did interchange the mics out. So, and I really noticed the difference when they did that. And I thought, at, at a young age, at, at that age, I was like, "Well, those ones sound a lot better." <laughs> yeah. You know, those four two ones, and you know, I actually um, from that experience is why I purchase, you know, my mm. four two ones for the toms that I, I have now. Mm. You know, you can tweak the the ratio on them for the bottom end and, yeah. and all that stuff too, which is pretty cool on the mic. Um, and I've, you know, I've tried different things on, on kick drums and, and snares and all sorts of things. I mean, you know, the, the 57s are obviously the, a, a, quite a go-to and a standard on the snare and I find them pretty robust. Um, so, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll use those live. I'll use 604s um, on the toms. Um, they seem pretty, you know, they get out, they're, they're small, they, yeah. you know, they're out of the way, they, they're quick and easy to take off and on. Yep, that's um, right. I like, like that mm. aspect and, you know, they've got a lot of, um, you know, they take a lot of punch, which is, which is good. You can hit That's the, right. Yeah. And and the four to ones are just not made for life. You know, yeah. They're just way too bulky and, and, and that terrible clip the they clip, have. I know. That's which is a, a huge <laughs> failure in design. You know, who came up with that clip? <laughs> I know. And it's it's funny. I think I saw a, a, mm. some someone online who was doing like a, a mic, um, you know, swap out or a shootout or whatever they call with different microphones and, you know, the four two mm. ones and it was here we are to you know, 2022 or was maybe two years ago or something like that. And um, and then the same thing, it's still got the clip, you know, mm. still got that, that clip where you, yeah. you've dropped the mic quite a few times. I've been, you know, um, definitely a victim of that and just falling out, you know. Mm. What I mean? 
Um, and I don't know why they don't change it over, but there could be a real valid reason that they don't, whether it's, you know, price-wise or economically mm. or, yeah. you know, well, you've got a 421 and they're a great special mic, don't yep. drop the mic. Yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> be but, mindful when mm, you're using it. You know? I've actually once been to, to the Sennheiser uh, factory in oh, Germany wow. in, in a, a town called Wedemark. And uh, we got the grand tour of the facilities. Fantastic. And, you know, the, these microphones were designed, I want to say, in the 60s, but I'm not entirely sure on the mm. year. And they still haven't changed the design deliberately. Mm. They don't change a thing. They're still hand-assembled assembled mm. in Germany. Hence the price. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, and, all the new microphones are obviously built by robots these days, but yeah. uh, those ones are still untouched. So that's mm. their philosophy, I guess. Mm. But they're amazing microphones. I love them too. Yeah, and I also mm. use Rode a lot in mm. the studio Australian um, brand. Yeah. And I toured their facility in Australia. Mm. When I hooked up with them quite a few years ago and they were gracious enough to kind of take me on board, give me a whole bunch of mics. They knew I was getting into studio production Um and, you know, drummer's going to need quite a few mics because obviously you've got toms and, you know, snares and overheads and rooms and all the rest of it. So they really kitted me out with a lot of stuff, which was great. And I, I've, I've been using road mics for quite a long time and I really love mm. the new, um, the ribbons that they've, they've got. Oh, yeah, the NTRs. NTRs, yeah, yeah and they, they're fantastic. I've you know? worked with them many times and I love them to bits. Yeah, they're so, really good. Yeah, mm. really, really nice. Mm. So I use those quite a lot. Mm. Um, yeah, and I've just got a mixture of different mics from from road you know mm. which which really um work really well okay yeah, yeah. cool nice one say um if it's okay with you i'd like to switch the subject a little bit and, and talk sure. about your band cog hugely successful band you know uh, love the music uh, oh, phenomenal stuff um, can you give us a brief rundown of of how the band started and you know how you made the first steps into becoming a you know professional musicians and gaining tractions in the in the industry tell us about the early days yeah the early days yeah. um well the guitarist and myself flynn um we went to school together so um, we grew up in a surf skate culture in bondi in sydney australia and um we were in a previous band before cog uh, called the hanging tree which was a kind of like a stoner you know punk heavy metal type of a you know band um, and we did that for about four years and we had some success with that in the underground scene. It was a great, one of my, you know, um, favourite all-time records I've ever played on, really. Mm. Um, it was done on two-inch tape. Um, it was sounded fantastic. No click tracks, you know, just raw as, great sounding record. And it was just as all that... Um, you know, I guess stoner rock music, Caius and mm. Fu Manchu and all those type of bands were kind of rearing their monster magnet and they were rearing their heads a bit. So that was a bit of that era with that. And then that band disbanded for a while and um, I was in a bit of a, a rut, didn't know what to do. I was probably 25, 26 at the time, you know, looking for some type of direction, where to go. Um, I knew I wanted to play original music. Um, I loved playing, you know, some cover stuff. I loved playing with other artists, but I really wanted to, you know, create uh, my own, uh, I guess, band and sound, um, you know, using utilising the guitar and songs that, you know, I'd written and things like that. So I made a decision to leave Australia uh, around that time and, and went to and landed in America, in, in, in L.A., 
And um, at the time I left my, my partner and, you know, just saved up as much as I could and I went over there and I had a few friends over there that were musicians and I thought maybe I might hook up with them but it was really just to get away from Australia. I've been playing in Australia, touring for 15-odd years um, and having some success with, you know, some other bands as well. Juice was another band that I still work with at the moment. That was my first kind of professional gigging band with, who was signed to a label. We did quite well. Um, did a lot of major tours with In Excess and Hootie Gurus and, some, and Radiohead and, and that was a, a great band, young band. We were signed around 2021. 20, um, that disbanded for a while or I left that one for a while and um, just jumping forward into America, um, I just sat down and started writing songs and uh, trying to come up with a, a style that I liked and a sound that I liked. I really liked the heavy style of, uh, you know, your bands like uh, Soundgarden and Helmet, um, Tool and and Caius and things like that. Um, I liked my prog music, mm. you know, very much because that was an early influence in my life. You know, I went through a big stage of lots of prog music, Mahavishnu Orchestra and King Crimson and, and things like that of that nature, Weather Report and stuff. So Genesis, of course, um, yeah. my favourite prog band. Yeah. Um, and I wanted something that was similar, you know. I wanted to, you know, have that prog element but have some of the heavy style guitaring such as, you know, the you know your ACDCs or your Metallicas or your Helmets or your, you know, um, you know, those type of bands, you know. Mm. So, but I wanted dynamics and I wanted dynamics like Pink Floyd or Jeff Buckley. Okay. So I wanted yeah. those kind of dynamics in, in the sound. And Flynn, um, the guitarist in Cog and, and the singer in Cog and writer in Cog, um, as well as his brother Luke, um, before Luke joined the band, it was Flynn, um, I guess he was in a similar situation, but he was back in Australia and he was writing some of his own stuff at that point in time. I was in America, you know, I think he, eight months went past. We connected on the phone. How are you going? What are you up to? Oh, I'm writing this, I'm writing that. We were sending tapes to each other backwards and forwards. And I said, well, I don't think I want to come home to Australia. You know, I think you know, I've done enough of touring and, you know, trying to do bands in Australia and... So uh, I, w I really want to start something here, so I'm really going to ground something here as best as I can. And uh, he was all for it in terms of like, you know, packing up and, okay, I'll do the same thing. Maybe we should hook up together, you know. So um, he got motivated. He sold his gear, his, his guitars and, and some, well, some of his guitars, his amps and stuff like that and saved up, worked his butt off to, um, you know, get a chunk of money to come over. Meanwhile, I was over there riding you know, meeting people, you know, going to studios, going to venues, trying to hustle and bustle, coming up with songs. And uh, unfortunately, after about eight months or so, I, I, I ran out of money and I lost my job, got fired from the job that I was doing, which was just a kitchen hand, you know, a lot of the real grubby, crappy work in a, in a pub on Sunset Strip, or it's not a pub, but it's a club um, on Sunset Strip. And... Um, I lost that job and I was going down fast and I couldn't find another job and my visa was running out. Uh. So 
Gee. I didn't want to have the heart to tell Flynn either, like, you know, and I thought, no, something will come up, you know, Um, and he was, you know, saving. So it was like I got to that point where I was like, oh, I'm going to have to go home with my tail between my legs, (laughs) you know, like I'm I'm not going to be able to stay here. Um, But I didn't have the heart to tell Flynn at that point (laughs) because I thought some miracle might happen and I might be Mm. able to stay. But anyway, I had to go back to Australia um, and I turned up on the doorstep of Flynn's house. He's looked at me and gone, what the hell are you doing here? (laughs) I was supposed to be coming over in like three weeks. Um, I said, mate, you know, I've just, I've ran out of money, visa um, ended and all the rest of it. And so we, we just started in Sydney, you know, yet again. Um, so we, we basically got together, you know, a couple of times a week in his sunroom and just, you know, at that point in time I was had a lot of riffs and, and um, you know, stuff and so did he and we just started putting it together and formulating and, and you know, making sure the sound was, was how we wanted it to be dynamically and didn't matter about the length. We weren't trying to write pop songs or anything like that. It was just we were purely going off a feeling of, mm. of how we felt with the music. And, you know, I think we got to a point where we tried to, um, you know, find a singer because it was just the two of us and he wasn't a singer at this stage. Um, So it was just guitars and drums and we'd go into a rehearsal room, we'd set up, we'd record the demos and and bits and pieces like that and we'd just try and audition people to to create another band, I guess. Couldn't find any singers. Um, Couldn't find really any bass players. Mm. So, you know, we got to a point where we recorded um, our demos, so 10 songs, uh, pretty much finished up um, a prototype of or like an album of what we wanted to, you know, produce and put out and, and it was meant to, you know, go to record labels and go, hey, this is what we want to reproduce. And at that point, you know, Flynn started going, well, I'm going to have a sing on it, you know, we, we can't find a singer. So he uh, started, you know, twiddling around with that, coming up with ideas, which was sounding pretty cool. And then we did come across a singer um, who was pretty good actually and we thought, great, we've got another piece of the puzzle. So um, he came in for a while, um, Justin Cotter, who's, who's a good singer, piano player, guitarist himself, and he'd just come out of, out of acting school at NIDA and he, but he wanted to do music, you know, and put his acting mm. career to the side. Anyway, we messed around for, I don't know, it must have been a good six to eight months and he, he, he contributed some lyrics and melodies and whatnot to some of the early COG tracks um, on the album Just Visiting that we did. And um, unfortunately he, he pulled, we actually ended up doing a few gigs with him um, and we, he pulled out, unfortunately, and said, look, I want to pursue my acting career. Mm. Um, and as, as he went to do that, he actually got a call from a, a band called Vast, which you might have heard of, which were quite a big underground band um, that had some great songs. Uh, John Crosby, I think, um, Crosby, I think that's the way you say his second name. He's one of my favourite writers, but Vast is one of my favourite bands. Like, I really love them. Um, so he went off and joined that band. So we were left without a singer again. So Flynn just went, bugger this, I'm going to start singing. Mm. And I was at this stage, we'd um, actually audition Luke, which is Flynn's brother, to play bass. I'd already done uh, a lot of the bass work on the songs, um, 
we couldn't find a bass, bass player, but we recorded the drums and the guitars. So I took it home um, and basically played bass on the whole thing as well. That was sounding okay. Um, and then Flynn put the vocals down and that was sounding pretty good. And I was like amazed. I was like, wow, you can, but I've never seen you sing and play at the same time. Yeah, and these right. kind of <laughs> rhythms and guitars that you've mm. got going on, how are you going to do this, you know? So he practiced his ass off, you know. <laughs> I, I think I went over to, went over to his garage once, yeah. and there was a broom with a microphone taped to the broom, which was attached to a, a chair, maybe taped. And he was had his pedal board down there, and he just he was just yeah, just like absolutely practicing to try and learn how to sing and play at the same time because there was complicated oh, yeah. rhythms and 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 you know chords and yeah. pedal changes, but he had to sing as well. So he, you know, he was going, you know, very hard getting that together. And then at that time we auditioned Luke, who was in another band, which is he's 10 years younger than us, so Flynn's brother. And um, he, um, he was, was playing in a band called Tax at the time, which I used to play bass in <laughs> for a while. <laughs> so there was a little bit of switching okay. in and out and yeah. things like that. But he, he took the lead in um, playing bass for that band for a while and, um, and then obviously the opportunity for him to, kind of play with us as well, came up and I couldn't believe how far he had come on the bass. He was playing fantastic, you know. He learnt the songs. He just like nailed the ten songs that we – so all my bass parts pretty much. Um, he just, you know, learnt those and was fantastic at it. And so we had the nucleus of, of three people um, gelling well, playing the songs as they were predominantly instrumental and Flynn was, you know – um, you know, ever uh, ever so putting lyrics and melodies and, and whatever else on them. And then we'd go and play live and we'd, we'd play 50% of the show instrumental and then the other 50% Flynn would sing and, you know, the ones he'd practised and got down, you know, and finally was confident enough to, to get up there and sing and play, we'd do, we'd, we'd do them. So we spent like maybe two or three years, you know, messing around in Sydney at different venues that would have us and have us play or with other bands, supporting other bands, and slowly but surely just, you know, building our sound, um, our, our style and um, getting better as players and becoming more of a unit as a, as a band. Um, and that's when we kind of, um, I guess we, we, were, we were like, yeah, I think we've got what we need. We don't need any more. Um, in terms of players, um, we're a three-piece and we just forged ahead with that basically. And um, that demo that we did, which was a 10-track uh, demo, which became Just Visiting, the the EPs that we released and then an album. Yeah. We, we put it into an album because it was always meant to be an album. Um, we actually ended up using that as, you know, the album to release to the public because no label would sign us, no label you know, wanted to know about us and, you know, we were sending it round and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, and, and how was that recorded? Yeah, well, it was recorded in a room not so much bigger than this that we're, we're sitting in now. So quite a, you know, like Like a, a standard room, room or yeah. a studio actually. Like, no, it was just a standard rehearsal room. So it, yeah, was, very, right. it was very quite dead. It, it was at um, stage door. And somebody in, had a, a laptop with an audio interface or well, what was it well, back No, we didn't have time? a laptop at that okay. time. Yeah, yeah. Right. We okay. A, okay. We had a dig – oh, no, what did we have? We had a Tascam 688. Is that the ones? Tascam 12 – yes. Uh, it was a 12-track. 
Is that 12 a track Tascam 6801 recorder? Yeah, with, yeah, with the right. TDK cassette tapes. Oh, no way. Right? Yeah. So it was, it was like, it was the TDK cassette tapes. Well, I mean, what is that in inch? It's like, it's like, I don't know, what is it? Like, oh, they're tiny. Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. just a normal cassette tape. That so you could get. Not what we would consider decent recording gear today anymore. It's, oh, know, absolutely. it's super basic. Absolutely. And, and that's super how you basic. track. And, that, and that's, Whoa. yeah, and, and literally the drums were in the corner mm. with 58s, one on the kick, one on the snare, two overheads. That was it. And um, that was the drum sound. All right. Wow. And then once the drums were down, we added the guitars and used, I think we used either 57s um, and just recorded the guitars on that. So we had the beds. But it, it was all basically like, well, this is just a demo, mm. you know, so we're not going to put too much into it. It's all about song structure. It's all about the songs. We're not worried too much about the sound. Yeah. Or anything like that. But then we got to that point where we we're going, oh, well, no one's going to give us a deal or give us some money to, to produce this properly. How can we take this, make it better, keep developing it and turn it into, you know, a, a, something we can sell to the public and, and, and make a musical statement with our, the songs that we, we love um, and we think are pretty cool. So we went to another studio um, and then we used a, a Yamaha O2, is it O2R? I think it was a guy in Bondi Junction in, in Sydney who had a, a little local studio in the bottom of his mum's house and we laid down the vocals. I'd already put the bass down in the back garage of my father's house on the, the Tascam 688 um, and I tried many different basses and things like that and because we're tuned to C tuning, that's where I had a bit of trouble trying to find the bass, right bass guitar that had the right tone and mm. would, you know, feel right and just sound right within the music. And so I must have gone through like six or seven bass guitars um, trying to, you know, find – and I ended up with a borrowing a Spectre um, from a mate of mine who's a great bass player, Harry Bruce, who I played with. He plays with my father. played with Renee Gaya, Leo Sayer, you know, you name him. He's been like an Australian go-to rock and soul, funk and blues bass player for, I don't know, 50-odd years. Wow. So, yeah, he's, you know, he's the real deal. Yeah. And he had one of those bases, so I borrowed that bass off him. I'm sure it was him. <laughs> <laughs> Mentioning him in a way is cool in this this podcast anyway because he's, he is a great bass player. But um, so I took that and that worked. It sounded great. It held the tension for the C tuning um, and all the rest of it. So um, from that point, after we laid the vocals down in Bondi Junction, did all the backing vocals and whatever overlays, we needed to mix it. So then we found a guy who was getting into production with Pro Tools and all this type of stuff. So then it was dumping it into digital recording. So from that, that's where we mixed it um, in, a, in a studio in his house. And we ended up mixing it twice because, you know, not knowing, you know, um, your NS tends too well. Mm, we added too much bottom end. You know, we mm. wanted it to be thick in the bottom end, and you know, we were just, I guess, we were starting out to some degree, and you know, we really didn't have much, um, you know, professional people around us at that time. And you know, f for me, I'd always wanted to get into engineering and production. It was something down the track I knew I was going to 
want to do, which was producing, engineering, mixing and recording. But at that stage, it was it was all, you know, exploration and whatnot and we, we took it home and I remember putting it on a, a, a stereo and just going, the bottom end is just blowing out, you know. Because yeah, like, right. those mm. stands, they just don't mm. hold much bottom end. So we had to mix it again. So yeah. we went back and, you know, if you listen to those those 10 tracks, there's quite a lot in there and it's, it's, they're quite lengthy songs. They're not three-minute songs. So it took a while once again to mix that whole thing. thing. And then we had um, basically, you know, it done and finished. We got it mastered, 301 in Sydney. Oh, okay. Uh, and yeah. then that was um, – it was finished as, a, as an album. We thought, well, we're just going to release that, you know, and we'll play gigs and we'll just sell it at gigs. Mm. And then we ran into – uh, a guy called Owen Orford who had a booking agency and he was, you know, had Silver Chair and a couple other big acts and he loved the band, loved the music and wanted to book us as, a, as, a, as an act. And he loved the, the EPs. Well, he, had, he loved the music. We hadn't put it into EPs yet. We just had like a five-track, I think it was a five-track kind of sell it at gigs type of a thing. But his, um, uh, his wisdom was like we'll put it into two, split it up, five tracks each, put it into two EPs, give it some life, a uh, bit of lifespan and um, I'll start booking you and let's see what happens. So that was like, that's a bit of the kind of the history of, of kind of getting together, growing up, writing wow. and getting it to at least that stage where that was before we got signed to a label. Yeah. It really sounds like that you had your fair share of obstacles to overcome there. Yeah, absolutely. There, there was yeah. there was so much mm. um, in, in terms of yeah, and mm. you know, obviously, you know, musos, are young musos, and you know, money's always one of those hard things. You got to have a job, you got to pay for other things, and you're always trying to mm. funnel it back into the into the band, yeah, in whatever way you could. But um, yeah, we finally, you know, got to a point where uh, we had a label that you know wanted to help us out, but that was actually before. We, we, we met a guy, and I should tell this story quickly, that, you know, while we were playing and while Owen Orford was booking us and we were doing gigs, we were doing more broader gigs now. We were getting out to Newcastle and Wollongong and Canberra and other places and playing with bands like the Test Eagles and other great Australian young bands that were doing well um, in, the un in the underground scene. And um, I, we, we just started writing another album basically after that. So, and that was um, to be the new normal, which is what we ended up releasing as an album on a label. But before that, we re released an EP. Um, and we did that because we were doing a residency in Sydney uh, in a, every Wednesday night. And we, we thought, well, well, we'll do a residency for three or four weeks. We'll see how it goes. But this ended up going for three or four months. And um, every Wednesday night, and it became a thing called the Blueprint Sessions which every Wednesday night community, local bands would come down and, and we headlined, but we just created a, a culture, we created a community, we created a place where people would gather on, on Wednesday nights, you know. And that was a fantastic part of the development of COG and, and getting it sounding kind of cool, having a crowd there to play to as well. Mm. Um, and we met, a, we met a guy called Sean Boucher who... Um, He said, look, I've got a home studio. If you ever need to record anything, let me know. And at that point in time, Flynn came up with an idea to, and I think also Owen was saying, the music's awesome, it's, it's great, but, you know, maybe something a bit more straight ahead, like a, a dance 
something a bit more straight for four pulse. Um, and Flynn came up with the idea and loved a band called Left Field, which is a, a, a basically electronic band um, out of Europe and um, I think they're out of the U- UK or out of um, England predominantly, um, home base, I think. And they had a song called Open Up, which is a great song. We used to lef- listen to that album Leftism all the time and open up the track with Johnny Lydon um, from the Sex Pistols. He was singing on it. So we did a cover version of that but did it as a rock band and we got that friend who became a friend of the band, Sean Boucher, who had the home studio, and he goes, I'll record the song, you know. You know and we were like, fantastic, awesome. Well, let's go to your studio, you know. And we rocked up at the studio to do this, this, this song and all, you know, amped up, you know, gear in the back and we go to a studio and the, I think he sold it to us in a way where my vision of what we were going to was completely different to the reality of what it was because yeah, we right. walked in there and it was a bedroom. Mm. <laughs> it was like it wasn't as big as the rehearsal room we'd used for the, you know, it was just basically a bedroom and there was dog shit in the, in the, in the corner. <laughs> oh, you're kidding me. No, seriously. Yeah, and he, yeah, and he right. had this other, he had this yeah. tiny little booth off to the side which was the, which was the control room which he had his computer but we'd heard some of his stuff from other bands he was doing, and it sounded great. It sounded really good. So it was it was quite interesting that what he was producing, mixing, and and um, putting out there, you know, you would think, and you know, visualizing where that possibly came from and what studio was nothing of the sort of what, actually what it was. Mm. You know, bedroom with dog shit in the, in the corner, and you know, but he was making it sound great, and he was a real. He was an interesting guy because he, he was doing things and he was quite alternative and alternative thinking and, and, you know, we were having great conversations, you know, about certain aspects of life and, you know, the nature of reality and, yeah. and you know, some of these things we were pondering on within the music too, you know, lyrically. Um, and he was doing things like recording with crystals, you know, like he'd put a crystal in front of the mic and, you know, it would it would bounce off the crystal and it would get into the mic and that would add a new frequency or a new tone, you know. So and it was all fun and things like that, but there was, you know, a hint of kind of like seriousness in it, especially mm. for him. You yeah. Know? yeah right. And he would mix by numbers and not by his ears and weird stuff like that. And, you know, it was just it was a fun experimental time. So yeah. and the product came up really good. The song came up fantastic. And um, we had that song and that was kind of like um, that hit the radio on Triple J. I mean, I must digress a little bit and just say with the EPs that we had, um, one of the songs um, and kind of the one of the stories I was telling you before we did the podcast before, I was telling you about working in a cafe yeah. and um, hearing one of the songs off those EPs that came on, on the radio, which was a song called Bondi. And, um, you know, it was, it was in between, you know, two, I guess, big bands with big production and big budgets. But there was our little song that was done on, a, you know, Tascam 688, done in a, you know, a, a rehearsal room. And I'm washing the dishes, you know, listening to this song of ours going far out, like we got it on the radio. <laughs> like that's just incredible. Like, yeah. Well, and and it really spoke to me in a, in a in a way mm. that like 
you don't have to have the big budget. You don't have mm. to have all the bells and whistles. You just got to have a really good song. Yeah. You know, and 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 that can go places regardless mm. of the production because you know. Definitely the production is, you know, not as, as good as I would um, want it to be, but it's just interesting to note that something of that um, nature and production got to where it got to and got a chance on the radio more than once. I think yeah. it actually got some rotation, got quite mm. a bit of rotation, mm. which was fantastic and gave us confidence to keep going. And then um, we released awesome. Open Up, that cover, yeah. that cover one, and that got traction on Triple J as well. Um, which gave the band, you know, some, I guess, some broader, you know, ears and fans and people who wanted to, you know, come and see us play. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, then from there it was kind of like, okay, well, and we had after all those, you know, the, the EP, um, well, we call it a, 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 what would you call it? It was like a digi, what are we, a, um, uh, not an EP, a, a maxi single. That's what it was. Mm. So I only had four tracks. But we yeah, had the, yeah. the maxi single, which also had a, a um, like a, a remix of of um, Open Up, which was pretty cool. Which Sean Boucher did because he was right into psytrance and electric, you know, psytrance music and going to all those type of you know alternative doofs and yeah. all that stuff and getting the crystals on and you know. Taking whatever to get as high as you probably could and vibrate with the elements of music. So um, we, we added a dance track in there, which was pretty cool, which he remixed. And then, you know, over that period of time, we'd, we'd pretty much written and recorded with Sean another prototype um, album, which was going to become the new normal, which... Yeah, but we were going to release, but it was, it was my... I, I kind of was like, no, I, I really this time I want to get into a good studio, yeah. a really good studio and with a producer and let's take it up a notch, you know. And that's when you went back to the United States and recorded basically basically on the opposite end of the scale with one of the most prestigious producers in you know, one of the finest studios. You recorded with uh, Sylvia Massey. Correct. I want to hear all about it, please. Yeah. It was... so, I, you know, I, I admire Sylvia for, you know, the records she, she's done and she's mm. done some of the most you know, of my favorite records, many of my favorite records. Yeah, me too. So, yeah, and 100%. she's she's really creative and uh, yeah, does and a lot of right un unusual things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. T tell us about that experience. Yeah, so it came about. Um, I was kind of like, well, let's see some of the producers that we like, um, and and see if they'll do it. You know, let's let's get in contact with them. So I was busy, um, you know, sending basically this prototype demo album out to these producers and Sylvia was one of them. And back in those days, you know, before I had a, a computer, I'd go to the internet cafe and, you know, send stuff out there and emails and it was all kind of relatively new. And I sent her the stuff and out of about four or five different producers, she was the one that answered back. And she said, I love it. It's fantastic. I want you to come and record. Let's do this. And I remember getting that email and running back home just like just going, oh, my God, like this producer who's done this, you know, all this type of music and has got all this experience loves our stuff. And I was over the moon. But then we hit another brick wall which was, well, how do we get there? we got no money. <laughs> you know? um, and I was just all about, you know, in that ecstasy, you know, 
period of, of the moment, just, you know, having such a great time with going, someone likes our music, a big producer likes our music, that's awesome. But then, the you know, the, the door slammed in my face, we haven't got any money, how are we going to... So Owen Orford, our booking agency, uh, he, he had some connections to some record labels, independent record labels, and there was a new one starting up. Uh, with Paul Krieger, um, who come out of some major labels, and um, David Edwards, not sorry, not David Edwards. Um, he was later on in the picture. Um, David Lowy, who um, started a record label called Different Music, which was completely independent. So they liked the band. Um, we were the first band to sign on the label, um, Different Music, and they gave us the money to go over and record with Sylvia because, we, you know, we, we said we've got this great producer and they were, like, fantastic. They, they threw 60 grand at, at us and said, go and make that record, that, that prototype and, and um, you know, and we did. Wow. Yeah, and we went over there and um, it was the studio at the time was studio. Um, Sylvia had, had accumulated a lot of gear and she had a beautiful Neve desk and she put it in a, an old Art Deco theatre um, in a town called Weed, which was kind of like, I guess, and I think it's four hours north of San Francisco. Yeah, so you're looking at kind of like Twin Peaks, you know, Rambo-style, you know, <laughs> a town, you know. You know, some of the locals go, yeah, this is where people come to die, you know. So she had a studio there and with all no the gear. <laughs> yeah, and we, and we, and we, we showed up there and mm. it was really quite, and it was, it was interesting because it was like a parallel of kind of where we are now, kind of this local area, Byron and, and you know, Ballina and, you know, the um, Northern Rivers, which was quite alternative, um, quite spiritual in some aspects, independent and free thinking and all mm. the rest of it. And, and Mount Shasta, which was a, a majestic, beautiful mountain just over, you know, basically when you looked out the studio, there it was. And this studio was like really admired by, you know, the indigenous cultures of, of um, you know, the Indians and stuff there of America. And um, a sacred kind of vortex <laughs> place. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, like these, these clouds that would come over, what are they called, cumulus clouds or whatever. Um, no, it's a different name for them, I forget. But they would form, you know, they look like spaceships around the, the, the mountain. And there was snow and all this type. It was really a completely different place from where we grew up, which was surf and skateboarding and stuff like that. So it was um, super majestic and, and we spent six weeks there recording The New Normal with Sylvia and she didn't want to, you know, touch the music so much as to just get and capture the rawness of what we were doing. So... Um, we did a little bit of experimentation, but she, she loved the song structures of things so much. She didn't really mess with that too much at all. It was more just capturing the sound. And we did that. We did capture it all to pretty much two-inch tape, which got dumped into Pro Tools. And then, you know, it was also mixed out through the Neve gear and some other stuff. And, mm. and that became the new normal. Wow. Yeah. And working with her was great. She was, she, you know, she, it was just... Um, yeah, awesome to, for me, wanting to be an engineer and go down that path of mixing and, you know, I was just like a pig in mud 
really, just yeah, soaking yeah, right. it up, just, you know. Mm. And the, the room where we recorded him was a, was a theatre, you know, it was like a huge, and there was the stage down the bottom, that's where the drum kit was. So she was able to capture a big room sound if she wanted to use it, but also baffle off the drum sound, um, you know, to make it a bit tighter. But, um, yeah. yeah, we were really happy with that album. Um, and that, and, and kind of like, as they say, the rest is history for that one. Mm. Yeah. 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 Look, um, obviously I listened to that record and, uh, the sound speaks for itself, but most importantly, you know, I find the music completely mesmerizing and, uh, it takes me to the moment and it's like, e even just the drumming by itself is, is capturing, you know, it's, mm. it's, uh, I, I get lost in it immediately and, uh, it takes me on a journey. Oh, and, great. Uh, That's you know, the plan. <laughs> your, your performance, you know, is absolutely stellar and she managed to capture mm. a certain magic of this moment that takes me there. Mm. That that makes me feel like, oh my God, I'm in the middle of the band or, you know, I'm, I'm right. really feeling it. So, Well, that's what you want. You know, that's what you do yeah, it for. Yeah. You know, you really want to, you know, like the records mm. I previously listened mm. to as a young, you know, um, person growing up and, you know, just getting that escape from anything that's kind of in your... Um, field of vision at that point, you know, you're taken off on a journey, mm. you know, mm. through music, through vibration, through sound, and, you, and yeah. you're, you're kind of somewhere else. And you, yeah. you can daydream, you can dream, you can imagine, you can yeah. you manifest things, you can, you know, um, because you're listening to music, you, you know, it's like a soundtrack to your life in many ways as well. And um, yes, yeah, I'm glad that it had that effect on you. That's, that's really great, you know, because that's, that was part of the aim of that was to, you know, capture people to some degree and, and, you know, just help them kind of, um, you know, feel a different way, you know? Can you talk about, you know, the, the hat space you were in when you laid down these drums was, what was going on there? Was that an uphill battle? Was Were you working really hard or was that effortless or what happened there? How Record, did it, how did yeah, it feel? How yeah, did record, it feel? Recording for me is, yeah. is a real double-edged sword. Yeah. Um, and I get really hard on myself when I record. And we'd done quite a, previ a lot of previous background work, you know. We were adding some of the songs live and, you know, all that type of stuff. So I had a bit of a grip on what I wanted to do um, but with always the intention of coming up with some, you know, some new stuff or, or you know, just, you know, I've, I, ne I never really map things out too much. I like to keep things a bit more spontaneous and perhaps something quite uh, spontaneous and magical, as they say, will appear mm. and, and you'll play a certain part or a certain thing that you won't play again, but it'll be captured. Mm -hmm. mm. And that did happen quite a few times on on the recording of um, The New Normal, although I had the, the beds and the foundations and, and those layers cemented because um, I, like, I like to play tribally as well, like on toms, you know, and tonally on toms. And not just, you know, hi-hat, kick and snare all the time. And I, as I said, you know, I wanted the band to have some type of prog element to it. So you've got the freedom to be very um, experimental on the toms and different patterns and different time signatures and, you know, polyryth polyrhythmic stuff and, yeah. you know, rudimentary stuff, using those as, as rhythm. Opposed to, you know, your fantastic, you know, straight ahead meat and potatoes kind of grooves, which I love. But... Um, Yeah, it was when I was recording it, I think I remember being just quite frustrated. Oh, really? In some respects because I just wanted it to be so good and, 
you know, Flynn and Luke were really patient with me because I'm so hard on myself and, you know, I can really, you know, spit the dummy and and all that type of stuff. And I just, you know, some of the sometimes I wouldn't get the performance as 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 much as I thought I had it down. You know, you, you you're working with a producer who's you know, play with some of the, you know, and record mm. some of the best musicians that are out there. And so you, you're performing, you know, you, 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 you're in a, okay, there's only about seven or eight people hanging around, you know, the engineers, the, the crew, you know, the band. But, you know, there's a nervous, you know, a, a aspect to it, you know, because you don't yeah. want to take up too much time either. <laughs> yeah, of course. You, you don't want it to be yeah, all about money, you. you know, yeah. pressure's on, you've got to perform, yeah, you know. It's, that's when, it. Yeah, yeah, when the tape's rolling. So. That, that's exactly right. And, mm. I mean, by that time I'd had quite mm. a lot of experience in the studio mm. and recording and I loved um, doing it as well. I loved the def- different environment but it was it was pretty challenging even though I thought I had it down. You know, I, I, st- I think it was just I, I was really hard on myself. So yeah, and I yeah. still am, Look, you know. I'm so completely was, gobsmacked because, you know, the way you explain it now, I, I see a small element of, Can I call it self-doubt in you? When I listen to it, you know, I used mm. to call myself a drummer. To me, this is a stellar performance. Oh, no, thank no, you. Nothing short of stellar. So when, mm. when I hear you, you know, looking at it so critically, mm. uh, that's, I didn't expect that. Mm. <laughs> really, I did not. Yeah, I, I think so, I've loosened, the, yeah. I've, I've loosened the, the strings a little bit on myself mm. and mm. I don't beat myself up as much as I used to, which is good. I mean, there was there was times where you wouldn't want to talk to me for three days, you know what I mean? Because I'd be like, no one talk to me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm shit. <laughs> I can't play anymore. Um, you know, mm. so, um, you know, I, I've become a little more softer on myself and I think I'm getting better results too to some degree. Yeah. Um, although, you know, I guess it's just morphed and changed in, in, okay. in, in something um, inside myself that's, you know, I've, I've leveled out a little bit there and um, I'm appreciating the mm. aspect of just being there and playing and feeling lucky enough to partake in music. Yeah, right. So today you're not only, um, you know, constantly touring musician, you're also a record producer, mix engineer, recording engineer, and you do a lot of the engineering side of, of that. Does it? Do you sometimes come across musicians who go through the same stages, you know, self-doubt or frustration? And, and having gone through it yourself, have you got methods to, to guide them and help mm. them to overcome these, these obstacles? What's your take on that, sir? Yeah, I, I, I definitely... Um after, you know, producing and working with other musicians in the studio, um, have tried my best through the experience that I've had to offer whatever solutions or, or guidance I can to make them feel uh, not as, as pressurised for them for themselves um, and, you know, keep them as relaxed as possible. Um, you know, I, I might try to avert their attention away in, in some I might just from left field start talking about something completely different. Yeah. You know, that just takes their mind off themselves for a minute. Mm. And, and you know, because when they're doubting themselves, they, it's, it's, a big, it's a big black hole that can get bigger. Yes. So if, if you can try to, you know, somewhat steer them away for a while um, in their mind, in their thoughts, um, And also, you know, just uh, just make them feel confident that if, especially if I'm producing, that I know what I want. So it's okay, you know, don't worry too much. You know, you may not be re- reaching your 
you know, where you think you need to be, but from a, a producer's perspective and, and recording and, and listening to you, I think we've got what you need. Mm. Um, other than that, you know, do three or four takes, go outside, go for a walk, do something different. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Clear your mind. Clear yeah. your mind, yeah. come back and have another two or three goes at it and let's mm. see what we can get. Mm. So there's different strategies for different people because different, you know, they've all, they've all, you know, all artists are slightly quirky and eccentric to some degree. Yeah. Um, so you've got to work with that. Um, but so far so good. But I've had some people that have been, you know, just brilliant, like amazing people and, and up-and-coming artists and singers. Um, and I guess, yeah, to some degree they, they remind me of myself back in the day. But you know, I've, I've had some people have just... The bands have fallen apart afterwards and it's mm. not, not good enough and, mm. you know, which is a shame because yeah. I saw real potential. That happened to me things. once where mm. literally the you know, band blew up in the studio and oh. broke up in yeah, front of I've me. Ne- and I've never had it in front. I've never had it after. But I've had a few but, bands mm. not finish the project, which I've mm. always been, you know, it's not hasn't been in front of me, but they've just turned yeah. around and said, nah, we've broken up and I'm, no, you guys are, you know, like Mm. just at least finish it and then beat the shit out of each other. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's it's a difficult, you know, mental place to be in, you know, and then the uh, production stage because I often feel like uh, when when I speak to musicians in in their own mind, they're a little bit ahead of their playing technique. So they're, they're, you know, the mind travels a bit faster than Mm. the body can turn The, mu- no, the instrument into, into sound. Yeah, for sure. And uh, that's, that's been something that I've come across many times. Yeah, well, where, that's probably that expectation yeah. of self, you yeah. know, like you, mm. you, you, in your mind you've got a, a vision or an idea of, of, you know, where you probably want to be and but you're just not reaching it, mm. you know, which is a good thing to some degree because mm. I, I guess if you, if you always were, you know, reaching those targets, maybe that's the plateau you'd just stay at. You know, maybe it's one of those yeah, things where you yeah. just, it, you know, you get better, you don't notice it, but then you go, I'm still not as good as I want to be. Yeah. Then you get better and you don't notice it, but yeah, I still want to be exactly. better. And as you get better, you know, your own expectation travels with it. Mm. So it feels like in some ways you just stay where you are mm. because, you know, as you get better, then you understand the next most, more complex thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, right. It's it's a tricky one. Yeah, yeah it, can, it can be. It can mm. be, and definitely. I always found that, That's the real part of about recording, you know, to work with a band and make them overcome the obstacles within themselves and mm. get them to really enjoy themselves. Yeah, that, well, Whereas, that's right. And, yeah. and, and creating art should be about that, you yeah, know, the enjoyment. Yeah. I think, the, mm. you know, the, there's one aspect about mm. creating art in terms of like visual sound and five senses that, um, you know, they it, it, the conscious mind really wants it to be as you think and feel it and, and mm. dream about it, mm. you know. Um, but in reality, sometimes it doesn't quite hit that space. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, actually being there and doing something and being creative is like, you know, that's a, that's that's 10 out of 10, you know, mm. pat yourself on the back that you, you got it to this position, you got yeah. it to this, you know, part in, in, in creation where you, you were able to contribute, mm. you know, and, and that's, you know, something that you can... Um, you know, have as a as a uh, a creative uh, part of your life, mm. you know, that will live on and sound. And, and yep. so have fun with it. I mean, I've got sometimes I I had a band come in a couple of months back and and, um, and I put on the microphone 
you know, because I've got a shield in between the snare and the, and the hi-hat and I just put a little uh, sticker on it which just said have fun or it was in <laughs> fluoro tape, just have fun, Yeah, you know. Um, and I've got that in the studio, have fun, you know, like yeah. just, yes, it's serious, it's serious fun, but, you know, have fun with it, you know. You, you're really escaping the, the dilemmas and drama of the world and, you're, you know, you're in your own little space creating something which in itself is, um, you know, it's amazing any of it works at all, as we like to say, especially with all the gear and, mm. you know, and how it comes to, to be and um, how it becomes um, a, a source in itself that can, can uh, you know, be experienced by, by the human mind and yeah. consciousness, you know. It's, yeah. it's, it's, that's in itself is, is fantastic, is amazing, such an achievement, you know. That's right. That's right. In... Can I change the subject one more time on you, if that's okay? Yeah. So, Cog went into a bit of a, a hiatus, you know, about eight to ten years ago. Is that right? About right? Six, yeah. Six to eight? Yeah, that's about right, mm. yep. yeah. Yep. And now you're back together and playing live shows and all. Can you talk about the future? Are there any projects in the making that you could comment on we can cut it out if you don't mm. want to say a word about it i understand but no, you know, what, what can that's you fine. say yeah what's what are the plans for the future yeah well, it's 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 nice to kind of have this um uh unknowing which is which could be surprising mm. which which could be exciting um You know, I think there's there's definitely intentions there. The three of us have intentions to want to keep writing music for sure in one form or another and definitely together as well. Um, and, you know, we came back together after that hiatus. We didn't know whether what we'd done in the past had any kind of longevity or, you know, any life left in it. Um, we were pleasantly surprised by you know, the people that had supported us over all these years and came out to those shows after five or six years and all the shows sold out and, and um, you know, I think that gave us a, a, like the confidence to go, well, you know, we're still playing pretty good. We still love playing together. People are still digging the music. You know, it hasn't kind of drifted away into some type of fad or, you know, it's not relevant. It's, it's still, you know, relevant even more so. You know, mm. as the world drifts, you know, ever so more into a dystopian type of a, you know, world, the the narrative of what we were singing about anyway still held and, and does hold, um, you know, some commentary there when it comes to just the lyrics or the melodies, you know, or the, or the lyrics or, the mm. you know, the depth of the lyrics. So that was good. Um, and, you know, we, we thought to ourselves, well, we'll write a couple more songs. We'll put a few more songs out see how that goes. We did that. They were just singles, um, which was great. They were received really well. And, um, you know, I, I basically, within that time, I moved from where I was in Sydney and I moved to the Northern Rivers, Byron, Ballina, um, Flynn and Luke. They live in Ocean Shores, which is pretty much up the road. So, in order to keep working and functioning, you know, it was better. And I wanted to get out of Sydney anyway with my, my family. So um, we made that move, which made it easier to get together, start, you know, rehearsing and writing a few more, you know, bits and pieces. Um, and the intention is there. So I think 
the obstacle is a few things. We've all got different things going on. We're all older and have families and different responsibilities. Mm, of course. So as many musicians and people as we know, it, you know, just it, it life um, does life, you know, and, and, you know, I've had to learn extreme patience. For some reason, my nature is not very patient and the other two are very patient. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, mm, okay. I guess, you know, the lesson for me there has, has been a gift, you know, from them to some degree to, to slow the fuck down Learn yeah. to be patient. Yeah. The, you know, there's a the right time. Every, we've all got our lives and dynamics going on. We're not funded by a record company. We've, we own our stuff now, all our back catalogue, and we've got to come up with the funds and we've got to come up with the, the right environments to, to be able to create and make more music, you know. So, you know, so be it. I'm kind of in the studio producing world, creating and a studio and have had studios in, in the past and stuff like that. So the canvas is there, you know, the the, the paints and the, you know, the, the brushes and everything are there to use. It's more about finding the time. Yeah. You know, mm, and of course. and that is the probably mm. the biggest challenge. Mm. And um you know we've got we've got a few songs sitting there waiting to be finished and released. You know, we've got demos of songs we've got parts galore you know on the little iphones that you know just little jam sections it's just finding the time yeah and um life does life and you know i guess you it's you've just got to ebb and flow with it and um it'll it'll transpire and it'll it'll manifest when it when it does i guess mm. but the the good news is the intentions there the love for it's still there we still want to keep writing. We still want to keep, you know, and I guess in a funny way it would be like a, a um, what would you call it, a miracle yeah. <laughs> if we were able to do another album, you know, mm. knowing that we want to, yeah. you know. Okay. But also knowing life's challenges and, and yeah. what's in front of us to try and make that happen, you know. Yes, yeah. Defying the odds again. Mm. And, you mm. know, which, just, which, you know, yeah. would be great for material, great for, you know, you need life's, um, experiences and the ebbs and flows and mm. you know the ups and the downs and whatever you need content you need you need you need real life experiences to yes. put into song yes um, because you you know you are to some degree um, capturing a part of yourself mm. your experiences and time and what you're witnessing in the broader world with with a diff, with lens, with the lens that you have on that you're seeing and what's going on in the world so it's probably good to have periods of not always putting stuff out you know yeah. you you can you become a little wiser so you have a you have some time to reflect you have some time to yeah. now talk about things in a different way or or you know sing about things in a different way well, um that pro- hopefully people will um you know connect with amazing amazing hmm. It really sounds like, you know, looking into your past, you've had you've had, had more than enough opportunities to just walk away, and you didn't. Mm. Now you just 
kept doing what you love. And I think, you know, that's probably the reason why as a band you're probably so successful because you just went for it. Mm. And uh, yeah, I guess lot, that's... There, yeah, there was a lot of... Um, that's probably the energy you, you will carry into the future, I hope. Uh, yeah, yeah. There, there was a lot of sacrifice yeah. in the early days yeah. to make it what it was. A Can lot of sacrifice. Imagine, yeah. yeah, a lot yeah. of sacrifice to get it to where it was. Yeah. In terms of other aspects, and you know, but you didn't give up. But and, we didn't know, give up. Yeah, we just we, look we, at the things yeah. you're doing to, oh, these mm. days. That's well. It's nice to you know yeah. have have contributed to the you know the musical world, you yeah. know, and and the the creative musical world, you know, yeah. with, with the statements that we've made, the musical statements that we've made, yeah. um, you know, and I, and I think that's the thing about music, and I have a you know, music is immortal, um, mm. so make sure you make some. <laughs> yeah. There's a cool. bit of my, a bit of a saying that I have, you know, yeah. with with the, with the studio creeds kind of thing. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll, time will tell, mm. as, as they say. We're, we've got yeah. some um, exciting things coming up. We're okay. taking those two albums, the new normal and uh, sharing space, which we also did with Sylvia. Um, and for the first time, we're going to put them on vinyl. Excellent. So. You know, yeah. that's letting the cat out of the bag a little bit. So hopefully um, towards the end of the year um, we will have these things um, wrapped up and, you know, ready for, for people to, you know, those albums, are, they're long songs. So I think the, the new normal is like a triple album. <laughs> yeah, <you're> right. <laughs> so, so it's, you know, and, and the mm. artwork on it was mm. so great, done by my cousin um, Daniel Parkinson who was his Doug Parkinson's son. He's a graphic designer and artist in his own right. Did all the early hanging tree artwork, um, and uh, so the artwork was is for the new normal is awesome, and also is um, you know uh, the stuff for the sharing space. So to have that on vinyl and have it nice and big um, will be you know a really great um, uh, piece of art. You know, well, at the end of the okay. day, yeah. Well, People I'll be can, up for it. I, I love yeah. my vinyl. Yeah, me too. And, me um, too. Mine's, you know, I'm slowly still accumulating, and yeah. still. I, I really love the deliberate act of putting on a vinyl record oh. and cleaning, and, and you know, you got to take time to do oh, it. It makes you appreciate you know, music. What, a bit what more. the people now yeah. have missed out, nowadays yeah. have missed out on the these generation. You know, like I tell the story of like, you know, that's why you became, you know, so passionate and such a fan and. You know, and and gave music so much value was because you saved your money through the week. You got on the bus. You went into town. Well, this is what I did. You searched the record stores like a you know you were searching for gold or silver or you know pearls, and you'd go through the albums and you'd bring them back home, and you'd take them out of the sleeve and you'd look at the you'd mm. open the cover and you put it on the, and you'd hope that the needle was still you know in good shape and. You'd get a cup of tea or whatever else and you'd put it on, you'd put your headphones on and you'd put the needle on and off you'd go. Mm. And you spent time, you know, that's, you know, mm. music had, it seemed to have more, you had more of a relationship and connection because you spent your energy and time, yeah. you know, really, you know, gathering the resources to get that piece of music, mm. to have that experience. And it's definitely a different world now and it's, you know, more of a, uh, you know, a kind of throwaway, world, yeah. you know, yeah. fast food mm, mm. musical experience than what it used to be. And mm. perhaps that's one of the reasons and probably is one of the reasons why music these days seems to not have as much value, okay. you know, or especially the way it's mm. sold or what's coming back to the musician, yeah. you yeah. know. And um, I guess the these records will be sold through uh, the Cock website. 
Yeah, yep. through the Cog website, and we're working mm. with a, a, a guy who um, who worked with us on the Just Visiting, and it's good to note that um, the Just Visiting album from the Tascam 688 TDK cassette tapes got turned into vinyl 10 years later, you know. <laughs> Uh, we mm. had that mastered by Tony Jack the Bear in Melbourne. He did that project. Oh, he's he's yeah. going to be doing this project as well. And and Doug, who runs Rare Records out of Melbourne, who's got a successful vinyl uh, record store, loves his vinyl and, it's, you know, it's very boutique and, and uh, he's all about the, the sound and it being very um, dedicated to, you know, it being a real piece of art and value, something that someone can value, mm. you know, mm. in terms of, you know, sonic sound and also a visual thing. So, yeah, we're, we're, creating, we're going to create something pretty yeah. cool and we're going to be, you know, releasing that hopefully towards the end of the year. Um, and that's super exciting for us because it's something we've wanted to do for a long time. We've been tied up in red tape with, you know, record, um, record uh, contracts and whatnot for a few years. So we've had to wait for that to kind of elapse to be mm. able to kind of do this type of thing. So, yeah, it's like in your new horizon in that in that respect and we're, we're, we're over the moon and, and cool. super excited, you know. Look, if it's and a maybe, key- they, maybe they can give mm. us the funds also to produce some more music, you know, because you, yeah, yeah, you yeah. need more funds to get the time mm. to write more music. So hopefully yeah. that will be um, something that... Get the ball that, rolling. Yeah, yeah, help get the ball yeah. rolling a little Look, bit. I'd like to, to put the uh, the link to, to your, the COG website into sure. the show notes, if that's okay with you. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, in addition to this, uh, let's say if a listener was looking for a, a studio drummer or a live drummer or maybe somebody to produce a record with... Um, Are there any places where people could find you as, as a drummer or a record producer? Yeah, I just go off some of the socials mm. that um, that we all have, I guess, which are typically Instagram mm. and Facebook. More, I'm, I'm more of an Instagram kind of guy. It's a bit, bit I don't know, it seems to be easier for me and I kind of like the way that that kind of, I interact with that. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've got, you know, numbers and you know, websites, uh, sorts of emails that you can basically get in contact with me. And okay. so Lucius Boric Drums um, is the Instagram page. I put and this in the show notes, of course. Yeah, and there's yeah. COG 101. Yeah. Um, so there's links from, you know, those type of things. Yeah, okay. Um, and, yeah, off the back of the COG website too, there's a page that's just got all the links to all the individuals yeah. in the band that have different socials and whatnot. So mm. you can get in contact with me that way. Good. Mm. I guess I rushed ahead a bit here, but, you know, are you available as a studio drummer if somebody has got an exciting project? Is that something that you would consider? 100%. You yeah, know, cool. like I, I I branch out in so many mm. different ways and, and, you know, one of the reasons is, is I want my, the sticks in my hand and I want to have the experience of, you know, playing the drums, one, to keep oiled, I guess, and kind of <laughs> cognitively functioning. Well, well said. Yeah, yeah. and... Um, You know, and the next thing is just to be able to dynamically be in many different musical, you know, experiences, um, styles of music. So, you know, I play a lot of cover gigs. Mm. You know, I, I play a lot of cover gigs with a lot of different great musicians around, you know, where I live. It's always exciting. We're always playing, you know, great fa famous songs um, and I love doing that and I love um, playing on other records for other people if they, you know, if they want me to play on their stuff. I mean, I've got a recording studio, so I have the ability and the way that I've set it up is um, I can record it all and then edit it all and then just send it 
to whoever needs the you know the drum track, yep. Yep. and they can do what they want with it. So, um, so anybody could hire you from the other anyone, end of the world if they want. Anywhere, to. anytime, sure. pretty much. Yep. And it's great to have you know my own studio, so I can kind of jump to that quite quickly and get really? it done. Yeah, All yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, excellent. So for all the listeners, uh, tune in and check it out. And uh, if you ever need a drummer, reach out. Thank you so much for making, you know, finding the time to, to chat to me and sharing all your, all your amazing stories and wisdom. Oh, I really you, appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you so, so much for having that. me. It's a pleasure. Thank uh, you. Fantastic. Yeah, it was a good chat. Wow, how good was that? Thank you, Lucius, for sharing all this amazing wisdom and giving us a bit of an insight in the inner workings of, of Korg and the amazing musical career that you've had so far. So we're really excited to see what the next steps are for you and your band. And I'm sure there's some amazing stuff to come. If you want to reach out uh, to Lucius as a producer, you can also find him on Instagram under studio101 underscore recordings. And of course, I'm going to put this link into the show notes as well. After the interview, we hang around for, for a little while in his studio and took some photos and uh, Lucia started hitting the drums and I took a little video, so I put this into the show notes as well. He was just goofing around, not even warming himself up and it was ridiculously amazing. So um, I used to call myself a drummer in an earlier life, so I still know how to appreciate good drumming and that was just really cool to see. Okay, so we are nearing the end of the episode, so please don't be a stranger and reach out to me. Join the Production Talk podcast community on Facebook. That's where I hang around, that's where I answer questions, that's where you can find out more. And if you ever need any help mixing your music, reach out to me via mixartist.com.au, my website. I'm always happy to help. Or if you just need an opinion or have a question, a second opinion maybe, you can of course also reach out to me there. And I would love to chat to you and uh, find out more about your music and help you however I can. Just before we finish up, let me just uh, give you a quick update on the Flat Song project that I introduced a couple of episodes ago. It's in full swing. Um, a small team has formed. I'm getting some help from some friends, including Sophia Stone, who was on this podcast not too long ago, and she's very happy to help. We also have my friend Nathan on board, who is a ridiculously talented engineer and producer, so that's amazing to have him. And Andy Stewart, who also popped up in an earlier episode of the Production Talk podcast, offered some help, possibly with mixing, and uh, I hope to get him to master some of the songs. So the team is forming, some amazing engineering skills is uh, teaming up here to help local musicians. So if you know any flood-affected musicians who could use a little bit of help, please reach out and pass uh, the message on. The webpage was mixartist.com.au slash floodsongs. So I would really appreciate if you could please share this far and wide. Okay, that's all for this episode. Thank you very much. I'll speak to you next time.